real church, a real people, seeking a real God. Now, we talked about the real church. You remember we used the scripture where Paul said that, that, you know, he said, I'm saying these things to you so that you'll know how to behave yourself in the church of God. That means in the building, not just in the body of Christ, but in the building. And, folks, I, I appreciate the way that, that some of you are stepping up and beginning to help and to offer to help, and I thank you for that. And, and let, me, let me ask you to do this as we're talking about this right here. Let me ask you to do this. If you're, if you're willing to help, don't sit around and wait for somebody to ask you. Let it be known. We'll find something for you to do, okay? I promise you we will. And, uh, and for you that have been working in the nursery and making that work, thank you so very much. We appreciate that. And, and the other things, and we'll begin to see things flow and flow. And I'm not making announcements. This part of my sermon, you got me going, hadn't you, Bo? All right. A real church, a church that's reaching, that's working here, a live and well organism, but also that's reaching out. And that's something that we're going to be doing this afternoon is reaching out, going out, and, 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 and nothing else, just, you know, as we go there to that school to, to do some stuff this afternoon, man, just think of all the prayer warriors that we can have out there, Pat. People praying around that school for, for the power of God to be upon that school and in that neighborhood. And we've got some other things that we're going to be doing. And reaching out, reaching out past here, past these walls. I've said a lot of times, the most significant thing that happened on the day of Pentecost was the church got out from behind closed doors and went out, and because they did, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people got saved that day. Then we talked about being a real person, real people, and we equated that to being a real Christian because, folks, we don't want any, any fake Christianity going on around here. We want it to be real. And real Christianity is not making excuses if you miss it. Real Christianity is when you realize you've missed it that you do what is necessary to make that right. If someone else is involved in that, you repent to them. Ask them for, to forgive you. And, uh, and, and then, too, if you're the one that has been done wrong, when somebody comes to you, if you're going to be a real person, then you, you forgive them for that. You, you touch them in that kind of thing, you know. And, and because, folks, can I tell you this? As a Christian... You're obligated to do that. Yes, Lord. I'm not going to get off on that. I just want to tell you that you're obligated to do that. You're obligated to seek forgiveness. You're obligated to give forgiveness. See, he said that if you don't forgive, then your Father which is in heaven is not able to forgive you because you're still holding on to something that's not right. So, uh, I've got to move right along. i, I I'll camp out on that if I don't watch myself, okay? Because today, there's so many things about being a real Christian. So many facets of it. And, and, and it's like the subject that we're going to open up today. You cannot get it in a couple of sermons. So we're going to, as we go along over the time, we'll be coming back to these things. And folks, when I, when I preach about the reality of living a Christian life, it's not to bring laws and restrictions on you, but it's to set us free. See, the Word of God is profitable. And this is the whole Word of God. See, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
I shared this with y'all Wednesday night, you know, especially about the book of Job. And, and I'm not having trouble with the book of Job no more. I'm understanding it clearly. I had not got it all figured out yet, but I'm understanding it clearly. That's my confession. I'm no longer having trouble with the book of Job. I'm able to understand it. Especially in those last four chapters when God talks, buddy, there's no misunderstanding about it when God speaks to those guys. And I'll, I'll refer to that later. I want to talk about, for the next while, seeking a real God. That's what we've called this whole series. But seeking a real God. I want you to look in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. This is one of my favorite scriptures about seeking God. Now, I know and convinced that there's not a person in this room this morning that I've got to convince that God exists. Every one of us believe that, or else you, you, know, you wouldn't be here. If you didn't believe that God exists, then you'd be doing what a lot of other folks are doing today, and, and you would not be wasting your time with church. Why go to church if you don't believe He exists, right? Unless you just want to go to antagonize. You say, well, isn't that what the devil does? No, the devil believes. He still goes antagonize. He still believes. But I want you to look at this scripture. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, like I said, there's not a one of you that does not believe in God. And what I want to do with today, especially, is to strengthen your faith in God. To strengthen your faith in our Heavenly Father. And as you're strengthening your faith in the Heavenly Father, it's going to strengthen your faith in Jesus. It's going to strengthen your faith in the Holy Ghost. You say, you mean I'm to have faith in the Holy Ghost? Well, you've got to believe that the Holy Ghost is, is, is the third person of the Trinity and that He is God in the earth now, the Holy Spirit. And you believe that. You, you see, a lot of folks say, I don't believe all this Holy Ghost stuff. Well, I, I'll say this like I heard Brother Copeland say one time. Well, that's okay, you'll never be bothered with it. If you don't believe it, you're not going to be bothered with it. I believe it. I, and I believe we've not yet seen the things that God is going to do on this earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he or she or they, let's say they, they that come to God must believe that he is. Now, the Amplified Translation says must of necessity. Believe that He is. That's a necessity. If you're going to have faith, it's a necessity to believe that God is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Seek Him. Now, the word here, seek, and, and I'll share this with you, but it's not the direction I'm going today, but I'll share this with you. The word here, seek, does not mean like, well, I'm going to go back in the back room and see if I can find a bottle of water. It's not that you're reaching out to find God. He's talking to people that have already found God. Not that God was lost to them, but that they were lost to God. And it's just like they found because there's something new and something different. Here, the word seek has the understanding of prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. So we could say this, that He's rewarded them that pray, diligently pray to Him, or that diligently worship Him, that worship Him. Now, but today, 
I want to spend some time and talk about, y'all thought I was going to get to preach without notes, didn't you? <laughs> hey folks, the subject of God is so big. Uh, I remember one time somebody told me, said, you need to get this book about the theology of God. And I thought, well, where in the world would you carry it? I mean, that's just too, too much to think about. And, and to think about talking about God in just a few minutes. But see, we must believe that He is. There's three things I want to talk about here. Number one, that we must believe that He is who He says He is. And, number two, we must believe that He can do what He says He can do. If there's any doubt in your mind that God can't do the things that He says, then you need to spend some more time praying and worshiping God and seeking Him more so that you can come to that point. And then, we must believe that He has what He says He has. Now, that's, 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 the, part of, that's the three things about God that you and I need to believe, that God is who He says that He is. Now, there's a lot of places we could go to for those understandings. A lot of things that we could, and you just look at nature. Romans 1 says that nature, nature itself has revealed God. And we look at nature, and we could then have a, a natural or a, a view of God. Or we could look at things that go on in the world and, and equate that to God, and we would have a worldview of God. And I remember reading something about Smith Wigglesworth one time. Smith Wigglesworth raised some, I believe noted some 17 people, if I'm not, I believe that's right, 17 people from the dead. Now somebody that, that's doing the work of God and has raised folks from the dead, I want to listen to what they say, don't you? I mean, worked all kinds, people healed by the thousands. I remember reading one time about a, a time that he was traveling there in England and uh, word had come to the officials of a town that Wigglesworth was on this train and they met him at the station and said, said we don't want you coming into our town and we, de we demand you do not lay hands on anyone. You don't have a license to practice healing. So they said that he got up on the caboose of that train up on the top of it. And crowds gathered around. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people gathered around. And he preached to them the greatness and the goodness of Almighty God. He preached to them salvation in Jesus. And he preached to them healing. And, he, and then when he got down to the end, he said, Now any of you that have anything wrong with you physically, if you can, put your hand on the place where you have the physical problem. And they did. And he just prayed a simple prayer of faith over them, and God moved, and hundreds in that congregation was healed. He never laid his hands on anybody. Now, folks, that's having some, some, some presence with God. You know that? There's some anointing that's going on in that, that that you and I have not seen yet, but I believe God wants us to. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, I choose not to know God by angelic voice, I choose not to know God by revelation. But he said, I choose to know God by the Word of God. He said, because in the Word of God, God is revealed. And this can't go wrong. Isn't that good to know? This can't go wrong. So as we look at that, who is God? 
that he is who he says he is. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 and 11. You're my witnesses. And he's talking to Israel at this time, but he's talking to us today. You're my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me I. Even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Isaiah 44, verses 6-8, through Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. And who is I am? shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed and the ancient people and the things that are coming shall come, let them show unto me. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Now listen. Yea, there is no God. I know not any. That's not Isaiah saying that. Sure, he's saying it. But it's the Spirit of the Lord saying it through Isaiah. And God is saying, there, there was not a God before. There won't be a God after me. You know why? Because before God, there, there, he, nothing existed at all. And that's hard to comprehend. Because God has always been. And God always will be. And God is now. He changes not. The Lord, He said, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. He's the same God today as He was even before He laid the foundations of this earth. And whenever this is all over with and we're with Him with, for eternity in heaven, He'll be the same God then that He was when He made the heavens and the earth and created Adam and Eve and put it on it to have dominion over this earth. He said, there's not a God. I, God, now listen, all wisdom and all knowledge, God says, I know not any. Wow. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. And then Isaiah 45, verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens... God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there's none else. That just pretty much settles it for me right there. God has time and time again proved that He's God. He don't have to do anything else to prove that He's God. But let me tell you something, folks. Everything that God has ever done, God is still doing. And the, and the greatness of God just continues to envelop this earth. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff going on that I don't understand. There's, uh, there's a whole lot of things that, does, that just seemingly don't fit into the economy of God, and I just can't comprehend, but I do know this. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And I do know this also, that it says that God has set His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. And like I said, I don't understand all these things, but I do know that God's kingdom still rules. Why? Because He's still God. And, and if nothing else, and if He can't rule anywhere else, I'm determined for Him to rule in me. 
I'm determined him to rule in my world, the area around me, the place of my influence. I'm determined for him to be in control and be king of it all. See, he, he, and here's the thing about it. He's proved this both to, to the believer and the unbeliever. Many a person has set out to prove that God didn't exist only to turn their, their mind and their thoughts and begin to believe in God. Many have set out to prove that Jesus didn't die and was resurrected only to turn and make Jesus Lord of their lives. Folks, I'm here to tell you there's nowhere else that we need to go and that we need to do. God is who He says He is. And what, who does He say He is? He says, I'm the first and the last. I am He that was before the beginning. I'll be here after the end. And there's no God that can come before or after or anywhere in between. Now, we do make gods in our mind. There's things that we set up in our mind and we allow ourselves uh, to, to, to follow other things. And Paul told Timothy that we need to watch it lest we be pulled away from following the true and living God and follow the gods of our minds. And folks, uh, that's another message. But in Ezekiel chapter 14, they came to Ezekiel and the leaders of Israel did and God spoke to them. And said, what are you doing here? Why have you come? You don't want to hear what i got to say. He said, because you've made gods in your minds. In your mind, in your imagination. You have made images. And you follow after those things. I don't want to. Why? Because those things cannot do me any good. They cannot help me. They cannot secure me. They cannot be with me in a time of trouble and a time of hurt. Another thing that we find out about God is He can do what He says He can do. And I believe that. What can He do? Well, we know God can do all things, don't we? Can you imagine a God so great and powerful that He can take a man from his country and tell him to follow me and I'm going to give you a land that you don't know about, but if you'll just follow me, I'll give it to you. And lead him in that and keep him in that and promise him that you're going to have a child and the man already 75 years old. And God said, you're going to have a child. And so Abraham and Sarah picked up and they followed God. And year after year, month after month, and year after year after year, no child came. And when Abraham was 99 years old, God appeared to him. And he said, Abraham, the time has come. Even though you're 99 and, and, and you're as good as dead and Sarah's as good as dead, he said, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah that will be the promise, that will inherit the covenant and will walk in it. Well, he said a year from now. And during that time, here, here was one day, and, and, and we find this in Genesis chapter 18. Abraham and Sarah sitting in the door of their tent, and here come three men across the desert. Abraham recognized real quick who it was. He got up, come over, and he made them food, and they sat down to eat. And, and so the angel said, it's time. Sarah's going to have a son. Sarah laughed. And oh, he made a statement. Listen, he made a statement that is echoed down through the ages of time. He said in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
People get all caught up in this thing. Well, I know something God can't do, and they'll bring up a whole list of stuff. Let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing that God can't do. There's things that God chooses not to do. We've got to understand it. See, he, God, it's not a fact that God can't lie. God just won't lie. It's not a matter of can't. It won't. He chooses. He chooses not to lie. He chooses not to, to hurt. He chooses not to let people go to hell when they make Jesus Lord of life. He chooses to give us a home in hell. He chooses these things, folks. This is God's choice. It's sort of like forgiveness. See, we've been told a lot of times that if I'm going to forgive and forgive like I ought to, and I'll try not to preach that, that I was talking about earlier, but and if I'm not, if I'm supposed to give like, if I forgive like I'm supposed to, I'll get it out here in a minute, I'm as messed up, I guess, in that talking as a lot of people's theology is about this thing. They say, then I've got to forget it because God forgives and forgets. Nowhere in the Bible do you find it says that God forgives and forgets. It says that God chooses not to remember. I like that a whole lot better, don't you? I, I know uh, I had a lunch this past Thursday with my former football coach that I had in high school. And uh, that was a long time ago. But anyway, we, there's several of us there that was on that first team that we had in, in 1963. Wow, Joe, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that puts me and you about the same age, don't it, Joe? <laughs> 1963. Anyway, one of the guys that played on that team with me asked me three times sitting there, now who are you? Who are you? And, and what do I mean by that? He couldn't remember who I was. God's not that way. God knows who I am. God knows where I've been. And in essence, God knows everything I've ever done. It's just that there's things that God has chosen not to remember against me anymore. I mean, they're gone. Oh, but didn't He cast them in the sea of His forgetfulness? No, that's a, that is an old line song, okay? There's no such place called the sea of God's forgetfulness. He said, I have cast your sins into the depths of the sea. And then in another place, he said, I choose to remember your sins no more. Now, whatever, folks, I'm telling you, God makes the choice. I come and repent this morning. Anything that you confessed and repented, God has made a decision that, that I'll no longer remember that against you. I'll not hold it against you. See, God, God is so great and powerful that He says, Look, I don't remember it, and, and, if I, and it don't make any difference that it ever happened. Now, that's how we come to being able to forgive one another as God forgives, is that our relationship grows to the point that it don't make any difference that that ever happened in our relationship. We continue to love and walk together and still be brothers and sisters or husbands and wives or our, our parents and children. We continue to walk in that, and we don't let it interrupt our relationship and fellowship because God don't. It's gone. It's gone. That's the reason Paul can say there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Why? Because God said it's gone and, it, and it's on the blood and it don't matter. 
It don't listen, folks. If you could take your past and put it right here and say the blood of Jesus is on that past, and, and to you, it's just like God. God says it don't matter. Then, folks, it ought not to matter to you because you're a child of God, and that makes all the difference. See, Jeremiah chapter thirty-two and verses seventeen through nineteen. You know, I was I, I read the book of Jeremiah through in my devotional time, and I was amazed at how many times this this uh, Praise was in the book of Jeremiah. And I'm going to go through there one of these days. Lord, Lord, let me. I'm going to go through there and preach about the our Lord God. And he says this, Our Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Now think about that. If God made the heavens and the earth, and we know he did, if God made all of these things and and the, the stars and the planet and numbered them. He didn't only number them, He gave them a name. It's not star number 366 trillion. I mean, it's just, it is that. But that star's got a name for God. He numbered them. And He calls them all by name. And get a hold of this, according to what I understand in Scripture, He does that every day. Can you just imagine God every day saying, Good morning, star, you know. Just calling the different stars. Good morning. Good morning, earth. <laughs> wow. Now think about that in the morning when you get up. That sun, that sun hit the earth. And you look up and that's God saying, Good morning, earth. I'm here. Wow. God made all of these things. Does that limit God to be able to do what I need? No. If God can make all of this so great and fabulous and big, then God can do what I need in my life. Well, what's, what's hindering it? Well, it may not be the part that we believe that He is, but it may be the part that we're not seeking Him diligently. Mm. Let me go back to this. Thou showest kindness unto thousands. I, you know, I'm one of thousands. One in a thousand. One in thousands. <laughs> And recompense the iniquity of the fathers under the bosom of their children after them, the great mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel and mighty for in work. For thine, O Lord, eyes are open upon all the ways of the Son of Men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Without faith it's impossible to please him. And he gives us according to the fruit of our doing. See, God's word declares that there's nothing that God can't do. I'm not going to take time to read all of this, but you ought to just go to go over to in the book of Job. Go to chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. And read those things that God said. Let me give you this little hint. God said to Job, you've got a wrong understanding of me. He said, little man, gird up your loins. In essence, he's saying this, Job, put on your big board britches. I'm about to teach you a lesson that you need to know. Put on your big board britches because you're going to need this. Job, where were you when I made the heavens and the earth? Where were you when I made the stars? Where were you when I did all of this? Where were you, Job? See, God can do what He says He can do. And He said it time and time and time again. And listen, He said, I can meet your needs. He said, I love you, and I care for you. He said, when you pass through the waters, they'll not overflow you. 
When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you, for I am the Lord Almighty. Wow. The God of Israel. I'm He. And I can take care of you. I can take care of you at any time. No wonder the psalmist was able to say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he knew that as God being his shepherd, that God could totally take care of him, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Folks, I'm telling you, God can do what he said he could do. He can save you. He can forgive you. He can restore you. He can heal you. He can bless you. He can do all of these things. And you say, well, I'm ready. I'm ready. God is too. Maybe we're missing in the diligently seeking. We'll get on to that. Not this morning, but we'll get on to that. And God has what he says he has. Well, what does God have? Well, you think about it. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He has life. Now, what kind of life does he have? He don't have an old gloom and doom, sadness and badness, sob story kind of life. No. His life, the life of Jesus and what he's talking about is not filled with sickness and disease and poverty. But he said, he said that's the life that the enemy gives because he steals from you. But he said, I have eternal life. He said, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. So he has life to impart to you and I as we come to Him, and life to give us and to sustain us. Listen, what is it? He has the Holy Spirit to, to come and fill you so that you're empowered to live in this life and be successful and to understand the things of God and to be able to be a witness and, 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 to, and to do great and mighty things. What does He have? God has all riches. He holds the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the Word of God says. He owns the hills. And like one old black preacher said, he owns the taters under the hills too. He owns it all. He has everything that I need. All I need to do is to learn to trust Him and walk in that and to believe that even in the presence of my enemies, He prepares a table before me and He fills my cup with oil and my cup runs over. He has all power. You say, well, isn't the devil powerful? The devil has power, but he doesn't have all power. The word, the word of God declares to us and shows us that God is omnipotent in power. That means he's all-powerful, all strength, every all power is his. Jesus appeared to those disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and he made this declaration. Jesus came and said unto them, saying, all power. Everybody say all power. That is of God. That's no, you can't get that anywhere else. Let me tell you something. Kim Sun, Jong Jun, whatever the guy is in North Korea, he don't have that. He thinks he has. I'm going to tell you somebody else that don't have this all power, even though, regardless, President Trump don't have it. The Congress don't have it. The Prime Minister of England, Mr. Putin in Russia does not have it. 
They don't have this all power. There's only one place that this all power can come from, and it's from an all-powerful God. And because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose, that power was given unto Him. And then now He's given that power into you and I, the church today, and said, here, take this power and go into all the earth." He said, I have all power. All power. And I give that power to you. He has all wisdom. He has all knowledge. He's known the end from the beginning, the Word of God says. And if he's known the end from the beginning, that means the first chapter and the last chapter, he knows what the book in between is all about. He knows my life. The psalmist said, you know my, my down-sitting and my uprising. You know, you know my thoughts. You know my heart. You know all of these things about me. And, and, and here's the wonderful thing about it. He knows all of these things, but he still loves us because he has a love that knows no limits, that knows no bounds, anything whatsoever at all. He has what he says he has. He has life, and he's given us that life. He has a home. That home is called heaven, and Jesus said, it's my Father's house, and he said, one day I'm going to come back and get you and take you there with me. He has all of these things. He has the, the children's song, has the whole world in his hands. He has. Now, let me tell you what this means for us today. God is who he says he is. And because God is who he says he is, I can boldly declare that I am who he says I am. I am a child of God. I am born again. I'm redeemed. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. I am an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, an heir of God. And on and on we go there. And I can do what he says I can do. Because Philippians says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And then I have what he says I have. I have eternal life. I have favor with God and with man. And on and on I can go with that. But I want to end this with this one scripture. It's a little passage, a long passage. But it declares the goodness of God, the power of God, the grace of God, and the nature of God. Better than I can explain it to you. Why? Because it's God's own word. And it's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 31. And I want to share this with you from the New Living Translation. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? who has measured off the heavens with his fingers. Now think about that. The King James says the span of his hand. Wow. Who else knows the weight of the earth? You know, Bobby's husband's specialty in engineering was being able to weigh airplanes and figure out things in relation to airplanes, different parts of it. And he even came up with a way to weigh the space shuttle when it came back to the earth. He came up with that. But God says, who else can weigh the earth? Who can hold it? Who has, or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give Him advice or teach Him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does He need instructions about what is good? No. Does someone teach Him what is right or show Him the path of justice? No, because He's all right and He's all justice. No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. All the knowledge of the nations of the world is what it's getting to. It's nothing but a drop in a bucket. They're nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Imagine this. This God that lives in my heart takes the world, holds it like a grain of sand. 
time. All the woods in Lebanon's forest and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. Think about that. In that day they made the animal sacrifices, but all the trees in the forest of Lebanon and, and all the animals that could be found there wouldn't do justice for a sacrifice to an almighty God. But let me tell you, He gave one man, His Son, Jesus Christ, that became the sacrifice sufficient for you and me. The nation and the world are worth nothing to Him. In His eyes they count for less than nothing, mere emptiness and froth. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble Him? Can He be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, decorated with silver chains? Our people are too poor for that, that they might at least choose wood that won't decay and, and a skilled craftsman to carve an image that won't fail. Can we do that and figure out some things about God? No, no. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words He gave, the words He gave before the world began. Are you so ignorant? Listen. God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. When he blows on them and they wither, the wind carries them off like chaff. To whom would you compare me? Who is equal, says the Holy One? Look up into the heavens, who created all the stars. He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each one by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see my trouble? O Israel, how can you say God ignores me? Think about that for a minute. How many times have we had that thought, said those words? God, I just don't know if you're hearing me or not. Lord, don't you understand where I am? Don't you realize what's going on in my life? God that's this way and can do all of these things, that has done all of these things, why? Why would you and I, as a finite man, look up to an infinite God and say, God, don't you know what's going on? Yes, He knows. He knows. He knows. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. He don't go to bed at night and get up in the morning. Never grows weak or weary. Psalmist said that the Lord never sleeps or never slumbers. He's watching over us in our nighttime. He's watching over us when it's dark and all the appearance of evil is there. God's watching over us. And folks, He hears our cries. His ear is attentive to us. No one can measure the depth of His understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. So many times I fall in those categories, don't you? And without Him, I'm there all the time. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men will fall into exhaustion, but those who wait and trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. Wow. God, that did all of this, and so much more than we can talk about in just a few minutes. God that has so great and mighty and powerful, folks, has said, listen, I don't grow weak and I don't grow weary. I'm there all the time. 
Just wait on me and trust in me and mount up with wings. Ride on the high places with God because He lifts us up on those wings of eagles. The thing that we need to learn to do is just wait on Him. That wait means to minister and worship to the Lord. I don't know where you are the Lord this morning. I trust that the God I've talked about is the God of your salvation. That He, that you, in making Jesus Lord of your life, that you recognize God Almighty. And this morning, if you're not right with Him and recognizing God Almighty, that you receive His Son Jesus and what He's done for you. Maybe you've been saved and you've just got away from Him. You say, well, preacher, I prayed that prayer earlier. Praise God for that. Thank God that you did. But if you didn't, now's a good time to do it because, folks, I'm going to tell you, God's infinite mercies will never run out. You know why? Because they're renewed every morning. Whatever was yesterday was yesterday. But when we got up this morning, whole new bowl of mercies and grace for you and me. Let Him minister to you this morning, whatever you need. Maybe you just need to draw closer to Him in your relationship. Whatever you need this morning, I want you to come. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in your life that you need today. Father, we thank you.